here with another episode of Central Monmouth Advice Givers. Today, we're talking with Robert Skarensky, owner and president of America's First Funding Group. Robert is a true Monmouth County native. He went to high school at Christian Brothers Academy in Lincroft and was a beach lifeguard for several years. After earning an undergrad degree in finance at Fairfield University in Connecticut, Robert came back to New Jersey to earn his MBA at Monmouth University. Robert's held a mortgage banking license in New Jersey since 1992 and has since earned the professional designation of Certified Mortgage Planning Specialist. He began his mortgage career in 89 and founded America's First Funding Group in 1999. America's First Funding Group is currently licensed in New Jersey and California and acts as a referral-only boutique mortgage planning firm. In the few months since I've known Robert, I've learned more about mortgages than in all of my years working in real estate and law school combined. I'm so excited to help Robert get his message out there to you. Get ready to learn a lot and share a few good laughs with us. All right, Robbie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Were you always a Jersey boy? I certainly was a Jersey boy. I grew up in Oakhurst, New Jersey, which is um, Ocean Township, New Jersey, Monmouth County. Um, always a Jersey Shore boy. Grew up on the beach. We were members at beach club since I can remember. Um, yes, absolutely a Jersey Shore boy. <laughs> yeah, beach was my life. The beach was your life. That's I wish the beach was my life. I'd like to be there more often. Now, did you tell me in our pre-interview that you were a lifeguard? I did. Um, growing up at the beach, you pretty much want to be a lifeguard. At least everybody I knew wanted to be a lifeguard. So when I was, I think I was 14 or 15, I was just below the um, age requirement to actually sit on the stand at the uh, beach. So I took the um, the certification class for the pool right here, actually in Red Bank at the YMCA. And then I had to take a beach certification, um, but I was still too young. So my actual first job at the Jersey Shore was a beach boy and I was the guy in touch of uh, or in charge of cleaning the bowls and 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 wiping the sand off the uh the boardwalk oh the exciting that, stuff yeah that kind of stuff because I was too young to lifeguard and then I think I was uh I became a sophomore at, at high school and I think I was eligible to lifeguard and then I lifeguarded from that point on through uh college that's intense because I mean lifeguarding in a pool is one thing everybody's right there you can see them Lifeguarding on the the beach, I've actually had the opportunity, um, not that it was a good thing, but the opportunity to see some lifeguards in action on the beach. And it's pretty amazing. you got to be in like peak physical condition. To be yeah, I, yeah, I was. I was. And it was great in college because when you go away to college, you tend to put on a little weight. You tend to, <laughs> you know, maybe drink some beer and eat some food you really shouldn't have. So first couple of weeks back in the summer was always the best because you would uh, be running and swimming and you'd lose that, that extra weight right away. Um when we took, I don't know how they do it now, it's been a lot of years, but when we took the ocean test, the um, gentleman, we had to go out in the water in May, and the uh, people that we had to quote-unquote save were in wetsuits, all dazzling up, mm-hmm. so they were slippery. So we had to, <laughs> swim, so we had to swim out in the cold water and um, get them into submission, really, because you know a drowning victim is panicking, and I get them into the beach, so... That's one thing I'll never forget. All right. So how did you, all right, you were lifeguarding in college. Where'd you go to college? Uh, Fairfield University, Connecticut. And how did you end up going from, you know, Jersey Shore dream job lifeguarding to the mortgage industry? 
Um, quite by accident, I was in college as a finance major uh, with the intention of going to law school. I think we discussed that once before. Yes, and I have told you, and I stand by this, you're very lucky you did not go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> so my, uh, my senior year, I had a uh, psychology professor. He was an adjunct professor, and he taught the class on death and dying. And I thought it was a very interesting class, so I took it. And um, when he walked into class, the guy blew me away. And uh, I decided at that point that's what I wanted to do with my life. So now I'm a finance major tending to go to law school who wants to be a psychologist. <laughs> and uh, the short version is I spoke to my father about it, and he's, you know, I was lucky enough to have my parents pay for my education. And he said, you know, those are all great options, although they're very expensive options. So why don't you come home after school and figure it out? So that's what I did. I came home after college with um, the intent to decide what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I never planned to be home. I always planned to be in school right after after college. And uh, quite by accident, I was having a conversation with a friend of my family on the beach one day. And um, she I said, what do you do? She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm lifeguarding. And, and at that time, I added uh, doorman to my repertoire. So I was working at a, a nightclub as a doorman, during the night, lifeguarding during the day. And I said, I'm just trying to figure out what, what my next step is. And she said, um, I own a small mortgage brokerage company. Why don't you come work for me? And I really didn't understand what that meant um, at the time. But I said, sure. And that was when I was maybe just turned 22. Okay. And so I went to work with her, and she pretty much taught me the business. So tell us the story of how you went from just a mortgage guy to a president. you got quite a title now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, she would, uh, took me under her wing, and she introduced me to a lot of uh, potential clients, people that were referrals of hers. And... Um, one of the clients that I got very close with was an entrepreneur. He owned a couple businesses. And then he had referred me to another gentleman um, who had a lot of money. And I knew just from researching on the state of New Jersey site the, the, the requirements uh, to become my own brokerage shop. I needed to meet certain net worth and financial requirements of which, you know, a 22-year-old could not meet at that time. Right. So in talking to these people, I had posed the concept to them, hey, would you guys ever be interested in opening up? And they said, well, coincidentally, that's exactly what we wanted to do. And um, we decided probably, I mean, I was 23 and a half, roughly around that, that age, to uh, – go into business together. And, okay. um, I, so I took the test, the state of New Jersey licensing exam and, um, you know, that's pretty much it. I've been on my own ever since. And all the stuff they don't teach you in, 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 in college and graduate school, I guess <laughs> I, 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 I learned <laughs> the tough way in, in, in running a business. Okay. So it's actually my second company, um, right now. All right. Um, so you are definitely an expert in your field. What, tell us about who do you serve? Who, who can you help the most in what you do? All right. So under our licensing requirements or under our licensing, um, a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people go onto the internet and say, 
oh my God, so-and-so published a rate at here. And the way I explain it to them is um, when you go out onto the internet, it's kind of like seeing that Sunday ad in the uh, auto section of the paper. Hey, get this Cadillac for $199 a month. And you call it up and you're like, okay, I want to get that Cadillac for $199 a month. And then the salesperson will say to you, well, you want four tires with that Cadillac? Of course I do. Okay, well, then it's going to be $299 a month. You want um, power seats in the power pack? Well, of course I do. Well, it's going to be $399 a month. And besides you get done with the going back and forth and qualifying what you actually want in the car, it's probably a $799 car payment, which is probably closer to what it should be versus, you know, what they published. And in, in the current regulatory environment, there are still people that can get away with showing rates that are probably um, not going to be applicable to most, most of the people because interest rates today are based upon risk-based characteristics, excuse me, risk-based characteristics. So your rate is a function of what kind of property are you uh, buying or refinancing? How much equity or down payment are you putting into the property? What's your credit score? What's your qualification ratios? Is the property a primary residence or an investment property or a second home? So a lot of people don't understand that you throw all those all those characteristics into the profile and then that determines the rate that will be associated with the risk. So you mean I can't just pick up my phone and <laughs> plug in like three pieces of information to an app and get a rocket to a, a great mortgage rate? <laughs> and, 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 you know, and that works to the extent that they're mass marketing. So by default there there's a lot of people that do fit that criteria you know mm-hmm. um but a lot of people don't you know a lot of people don't fit that criteria there's not a lot of people that you know have one job in the last 10 years that's w2 and have an 800 <laughs> fico score and are putting down 30 percent on a piece of property um for all those other people they probably need to get guided through the system and get some advice based upon, you know, what the most suitable situation is for them and the most suitable product. Right. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the mortgage industry. Um, One of the best ones I like to pick on is, is the difference between the big box banks and, and, mortgage bankers or mortgage brokers, people that are non-bank lending institutions. The, um, I won't say any names, but a lot of the big box banks, you know, that have horses and carriages, they like, (laughs) they like, they like to, uh, again, promote that image. Um, and what a lot of people don't understand is that you, Janine, can go work for a bank and be a mortgage loan originator five minutes after leaving this office and you can walk in and say, hey, I want to be a mortgage loan originator. And if they interview you and said, okay, they would just simply register you with the National Mortgage Licensing System. Right. And you're in the mortgage business. Oh, no, thank you. And, you know. <laughs> I'll leave that to you, the expert. You may, you may have the best intents. You may be the smartest attorney slash realtor <laughs> I know. But you just might not be qualified to do that specific job. But under the banking model, you don't need to be. Um, on our model... We are qualified individuals. So as a broker, very similar to a real estate business, I was always the broker of record. So I always had to have the credentials. I was always licensed. I was always bonded. Um, Under Dodd-Frank, all the individuals that work with me or work on a non-bank 
side of lending have mm-hmm. to be licensed, have to have to obtain pre-licensing education. Um, they have their credit checked. They have to take continuing education. So there's there's a lot of uh, they are tested. So there's a lot of there's a lot more attributes that are associated with people on the non-depository side of lending than there are with the big banks. Not to say that the big banks don't try to educate the people, but my opinion is you're going to get the experts on the side of the non-depository um, institution side of lending. That's so important to know. And even working, you know, in, in a side-by-side industry, I had no idea about any of that until you told me. Right. So, and, and something else I'd like to point out, and again, I, 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 I do like to pick on the big box banks. Um, you know, you have to understand something. Most of the banks are publicly traded companies. So I'm sure you saw this in law school. What's their, what's their number one goal? Their number one goal is to maximize shareholders' wealth, right? It's of not to it's not to They're give, a business. Right. So it's not to give the consumer the best deal. It's to maximize profits for the shareholders. They do that by obtaining customers and and and, and selling products and services. But again, that's not their that's not their primary goal. Right. Um you know, I think as you've seen some of the big box banks been in the news in the last year or two. Um, doing all sorts of, of improper things, um, you know, creating accounts that weren't really legitimate accounts and yep. all these things made their numbers look good to increase their share price, right? But it certainly wasn't the best thing for their customers. On our side, we're more, I'd like to think more of our industry as a whole is more people before profits. So we will put the people first. We will make money as a result of that, but we are able to to structure our our margins and our our profits in a more competitive nature with with the with the going market versus because we're not we're not liable to a shareholder or or anybody else right so we are definitely more competitive which i think is another misconception of of our distribution channel versus versus the banks that you know and nine times out of ten you're going to get better advice and you're going to get a cheaper overall cost Okay. Yeah, it sounds very uh, similar to the real estate world and why I left my big box brokerage. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. People first, clients first. Um, so are you all work and no play? What else do you do besides mortgages? <laughs> I, uh, I'm a little bit of a gym rat. So I'm, you know, just turned 50 recently, which is a god-awful number, I guess. Oh, stop. It is not. Um, so I... Um, yeah, that would be my biggest outlet. I do it because of stress release. I like I like going to the gym every morning or, or at least four or five times a week. Um, you know, my wife and I we, we like to hang out and do uh, do a lot of dinners, Atlantic City, that kind of stuff. We vacation to Jamaica uh, once a year. We're trying to pull that up to twice a year. Uh, you know, and my son lives with me full time, so that's uh, that's a. Uh, a, a, a a second job all in itself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's tough to balance my, my career and my kids. I can't imagine what it's like to run a whole company in two States and raise your son. Yeah. So it's, you know, it gives me the, my son, we've had this talk before my son, I definitely wouldn't call him special needs, but he has some additional needs. He has a IEP individual education plan plan Mm -hmm. in school. He's a freshman in high school, so he has um, 
some additional work that I need to put in with him daily. So it's important, like, for example, I pick him up, I, I drive him to school every morning, I pick him up every afternoon, uh, make sure he gets going with his homework. So the way I work and the fact that I'm on two coasts, it gives me the flexibility to, to take some time out of my day to tend, to tend to that, which is, you know, really the most important piece of my life right now is making sure that he is on his way to where he needs to be and he's guided to, to utilize all the opportunities and all the potentials that he has. Um, and, it, and it's becoming very successful, but it's very important for me to maintain this type of model that I have right now so that I can, I can be there to facilitate what he needs. That's awesome. I love hearing that. Um, okay. So when have you, tell us a story about a time where you felt like you were really making a difference either in your home life or, or your work life. All right. I'll give you, I, I did come up with this example. Um, this was just a client we closed just about two weeks ago. Two attorneys, husband and wife are both attorneys, very smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, went into application through the big box bank and the, the underwriter and the, the system there, the systems in the big box banks really do not allow for solution-based interaction. It's plug the stuff, plug the information into the computer. This is what gets spit out. If it, if it deviates from that, you throw a monkey wrench into the whole process and we don't have the time or the resources to figure out a solution. And from their perspective, I think their attitude is, because of who we are, because of how many people come to us because of who we are, if we stop the process to try to figure out this one case, well, there's an opportunity cost of the five files that we could have underwritten during that time frame. So again, go back to we need to maximize shareholders' wealth. If we get stuck, it just gets lost. Right. So these clients had gone through this process and they got stuck and they were trying you know, they were in the typical domino deal where they were trying to buy a house and close on their house simultaneously. Um, and it was just, it was a very complex situation because of their debt structure, because of, of, of the simultaneous closings, they were having issues on their sale. So it was just, you know, Murphy's law to the max, right? Murphy's law to the max. So they were referred to me by a friend of mine that works for one of the big box bank and said, well, can, we're stuck here. We're not, we're, you know, they're not listening to reason. I, I need you to help them. So I had an initial conversation with them and, um, you know, basically it was that it was, okay, we have a problem here. How do we solve this problem? You know, and I go through and I like to, I like to analyze situations. I like to look at their, look at people's profiles and, and come up with a, a solution for them, you know, and I, and that's part of what I really enjoy. I like when somebody has a challenging situation and I look for that, look for that way to resolve that problem. So, you know, the, the short story was the, you know, the questions weren't able to be asked through the big box bank as far as coming up with alternatives and through, through a basic, you know, interview process through a fact finding process, I was able to come up with, a solution that we can get them into qualifying mm-hmm. into this house. Um, 
the dynamic behind it was one of the parents fell ill and they needed to get a house that was going to be suitable for, for the whole family. Um, so what we were able to do initially was say, okay, here's a strategy. I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and then we'll be in a position to, to move forward with the purchase of this house. They, they were great clients. They did X, Y, and Z. We were able to get ourselves positioned. So we got ourselves through the approval process. We got ourselves through every condition and were cleared to close mm-hmm. with the exception of the fact they were going to close close on their own house that they were selling. Right. So it was a simultaneous close. So they need to close on the house they were selling and then buy the house that they were purchasing. Well, (laughs) (laughs) there was all sorts of issues going on with the purchasers of their home. And I know just from the years of experience, the clients let me read the emails that they were getting from the other side, from the financing arm of the other side, from the attorneys of the other side. I knew there was a problem. I knew they were going to have a problem. And to this date, they still haven't closed on that property. Oh, man. So what we were able to do was go back in and restructure the whole loan and allow them to close while still holding the mortgage that they have right now um, with some additional debt payoff and, and, and being able to, to get them qualified because their primary focus, their, the thing most important to them was getting into the new house right. with their family. So we were able to facilitate that through a nice problem-solving uh, exercise and, 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 and get them into the property. And they were beyond happy. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, that's huge. That's, I mean, you literally saved their lives. And I text them, and they're like, are we done? I'm like, no, because I want to keep following up on what's going on with your sale. And as of last Friday, I get to continue. We're waiting for an update. We're waiting for an update. Ugh. And it's just... They, they, it's a horrible situation. I wish I could take over that one for them. I know it's, it's, I, I feel that way a lot. I'll see a client on the other side of a transaction who is not being represented properly. And I just wish I could go in there and be like, Oh, let me help you. But right. And and just to be, (laughs) and just to be fair, the people that were buying their house did not go through big box bank. They went through someone on, on, on my distribution channel. So they went through a non-depository mortgage broker or mortgage banker, mm-hmm. um, which says to me, you know, there's still unqualified people out there. And, um, that's a shame. Yeah. And, um, I, 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 I could only do what I could do. I wish I could take that piece of them f- for them. Cause I told them, I said, if you can at least refer those clients over here, I can tell you if it's a realistic option or not that they're going to be able to close but um you know i wasn't able to help in that part right but at least i got them where they needed to be you got them where they needed to be and i'm sure they're extremely grateful for that that's wonderful all right robbie i think we have time for just one more question so let's talk about what three pieces of advice would you give as an expert in your field i would tell people the first thing that i would do is make sure you qualify your advisor and i truly think um you know, again, the big box banks look at it as a as a transaction. We look at it as a, as a relationship. So I think it's very important to qualify your advisor. Ask them questions about their experience. You know, ask them how they handle their clients. Ask them about their process. Um, ask them about what happens if there's a hiccup. How do they handle it? You know, um, it's very important, especially in the world of Dodd Frank, to have 
someone that understands how to get you the lowest cost package, but also understands how to navigate through the the lending environment. And the lending environment may as well have a pulse because it's it's changing daily. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA are continually changing and amending their guidelines. So it's very important to work with an expert. That would be the first thing. Okay. The second thing I would tell you to do is once you have come to the conclusion just on the home buying side that you guys want to purchase a house, see, seek out an expert advisor and have the conversation. Most realtors will require you to, to get a pre-approval letter. Um, you need to want, you need to get a little bit deeper with, with that individual. You need to seek out an advisor, have him review your financial situation, like look at your documents, analyze your documents. Just to give you an example, you know, there's a lot of different interpretations of I have good credit. There's a lot of <laughs> different interpretations of I'm self-employed and I make X dollars. You know, what I tell people is there's a disconnect between your real world and our underwriting world. Right. And part of the analysis that goes along with looking at your documents is reconciling your real world into our underwriting world. Because when you're borrowing money, the only world that matters is our underwriting world. So the only way that we can go through that process is to look at your documents, your, your, your income documents, your asset documents, your credit, so that you have any potential hiccup ironed out before you're actually ready to shop. So when you finally find that place that you want to make the offer on, it's just a question of going through the lending process. It's not a question of like an example I just gave you trying to figure out how you're going to get money when you're in contract. That's, right. that's not the way you want this process to go. No, definitely not. <laughs> and then the last thing I would say to people is know your budget. And, and budget to me is a lot different than how much you qualify for. Oh, in, yeah. In today's, in today's um, underwriting analysis, we use, we use um, online underwriting engines, which are basically uh, probability of performance programs. So they, they analyze your criteria, like your income, your assets, and they actually read your credit report and they give us a, a, an automated probability of performance of your risk-based um, information. Even post-Dodd-Frank, a lot of times you will qualify under, under this system for a lot more money than you really will be comfortable paying. Right. So my, my advice, especially to first-time homebuyers, is go through your checkbook. Everybody swipes their card today. The checkbook is a tell-all of, of your monthly income and expense. Mm-hmm. You know, go through it, sit down with your significant other and work off of mostly your rent and say, okay, here's what we're paying in rent. Here's where we're comfortable going. Um, and then match that up with a purchase price. And if that's not going to get you where you need to be, then go back into that checkbook and look at the, 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 the money that you spend. A lot of times... Um, just a recent client, they were $300 off from their preferred budget and the number that was coming in monthly for the house that they really wanted to buy. Right. And I said, just go, <laughs> just go through and look at that checkbook. And, um, sorry for the phone ringing. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the things that they realized was, uh, her husband is a, um, con ed worker and he buys lunch every day so he he does a 20 to 25 dollar lunch every day that's five days a week that's oh you know 125 dollars 
$125 a week, that's you know almost $500 a month. So a simple solution in that case that we talked through was brown bagging it twice yeah. a week or brown bagging it three days a week and, and only buying lunch two days a week. And, you know, by going through that analysis on their side, they were very comfortable bridging that gap now going up to $300. So the budget is absolutely, you know, more important than saying how much do I qualify for. Excellent. All right. That's all great information. I learned a lot today. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. So how can people get in touch with you? Are you active in social media, website, phone, email? You tell us what's the best way. Uh, The best way would be um, my direct line here at America's First Funding Group, which is 732-643-0200, extension 113. My cell is 732-859-0689. And my email is rsko, R-S-K-O, at A-F-F-G dot org, America's First Funding Group dot org. Great. And I'll put all that in the show notes for everybody, too. Anything else you want to talk about today? No, we're good. We're good. (laughs) Thanks, Robbie. I'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you.